0: Question fifty-seven. I'm going to read the question. If you want to read the answer with me, what is forbidden in the second commandment? The answer: The second commandment forbids the worshiping of God. Scripture. I am in the book of Luke. We're gonna be in Luke chapter nine, kind of finishing this chapter, and um, hopefully, uh, y'all um, were encouraged by Cale Parker who came and preached uh, last week. And his wife Kelly and and their baby, the Joel. I think it's Joel. Jude. Jude. You one's know gonna forget. That's why I kind of said it that way. Uh, but uh, they're a great family. They um, were trying to get them back into Evansville and. Uh they, they're uh, interviewing for different church jobs here in town. So please pray for them as, as God would bring them here and do ministry here. Um, they're such a friend to our church. Uh, Luke chapter, chapter 9, yeah, verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. 62. Jesus said to him, No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your word. I pray that your word would enrich us, Lord, that you would teach us through your word. Lord, we pray for the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, that that I would not be a distraction from understanding what you, you desire to communicate to us. Lord, I just want to pray for the churches that were represented at Fall Festival this past week. Many of those churches, they're known for what they serve there, not really known for the preaching of the gospel. What I pray, Lord, that you would convict those churches, that you would bring them to repentance, and Lord, that they would preach be faithful to your word. Lord, I just, we want to thank you for allowing us to be down there, to minister down there, to, to, to serve down there, Lord. May you use that, being a part of the Fall Festival, as a, as a ministry opportunity for us. May we encourage other churches. May we challenge other churches. May we connect people to your church. May we connect people to the gospel. Would I pray, Lord, that you would use Redeemer, Lord, to connect people to the truth of the gospel that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Many people in this city need to hear that, Lord. They need to believe it. They need to experience that, Lord. Many people need to experience your church and to be involved in your church, Lord, and that you would bring them here. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Um, I don't know how connected you are to like world events. Um, I get the Wall Street Journal, so I tend to be somewhat familiar with what's going on in the world. But I think over the last month, or two months, if um, you don't know this, but there's been a lot of uh, activity in Hong Kong, which is a city in China. Uh, but Hong Kong has a little bit, it, it's part of China, but as, as the British um, were kind of the main, um, uh, operated and, and kind of governed the city of Hong Kong, uh, when they gave that to China, Hong Kong had a, little, had, had a different arrangement with the Chinese government where they were kind of self-governing as a city. But as recently, the Chinese government has started to go beyond those agreements, and there's been a lot of protests, a lot of home, uh, citizens of Hong Kong have been protesting like, constantly against the abuse of their freedom. Well, this past week, the, if you don't know this, the National Basketball Association, or the NBA, is very involved in China. Since Yao, Yao Ming was drafted by the Rockets several years ago, he doesn't play anymore, kind of brought the NBA and the Chinese kind of together. And the, the, the NBA sees China as a huge market for money and a huge uh, audience for their product. Well, as of this week, the owner, I think the general manager of the Houston Rockets mentioned before there were some preseason games in China this week that he stood for the protesters in Hong Kong. Well, obviously that led to the Chinese government being extremely upset with this general manager, which then caused the NBA to almost silence him and tell other players and owners and general managers not to say anything negative about China. What is interesting, if you know about the NBA, is that they've always been the, 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 the professional sports league that tended to be more about social justice, more about people's freedoms, about different a lot of different issues, and it was odd to see the NBA start silencing people who are speaking against injustice kind of showed a little bit of hypocrisy of when money is on the line, your social justice values tend to fall apart. And I mentioned that because it's interesting how this happens all the time, right? Organizations, businesses, institutions, churches, you just kind of fill in the blank. Sometimes we we have these general principles, but then when it hurts our bottom line, when it affects us in a very significant way, those principles go away. Then The NBA basically had these these values and principles that they stood for, but then when it hurt their bottom line those values and principles went away. And I mentioned that, because typically what happens is, is we have these general principles and these general values that when we get in these specific situations or these particular situations where our values are being are at risk, or they're, they're, we're, we're in a situation we may we may compromise those principles and values, we forget those you know, values and principles. And so here, and let me kind of present a, kind of a main idea. The, the main idea is that a paradigm set by Christ is a discipleship paradigm that places Christ at the center of our calling, priorities, and time. Basically, in this passage, Jesus presents a paradigm. He he presents basically a, a pattern by which we as followers of him and disciples of him ought to operate. How we ought to act. How we ought to make decisions in our lives. Kind of a big idea is that the Christian life is a series of actions and decisions that prove our discipleship to Christ. Our unity to Christ. Our duty to Christ. That we do follow him. And that is it's proven in certain decisions that we make, in certain actions that we make. The, the Jesuits, um, which was an organization, a, 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 kind of an order in the Catholic Church that kind of was sparked uh, in, the, in the 15th century, came up with this kind of method of thinking through ethical situations to look at the specifics of the situation and then make certain general principles. And what Genesis kind of does here is that we get these three episodes, we get these three different cases, and Jesus makes some general principles through these cases. And the first one, the first kind of point, is the Lord over self. That Jesus is the Lord over the self. That the Lord over the individual. You have this individual here. Who who, they're on the road. Jesus and his disciples are traveling on this road, and this person comes up to him. We don't know who this person is. Obviously, it's probably a person that has heard Jesus taught before. Uh, Matthew says it's a scribe that comes before him. And you got this individual who who loves Jesus' ministry, like has seen his miracles, has heard him teach, and he wants to follow Christ. So he says. I will follow you wherever you go. So he's kind of proclaiming to Jesus that I will follow you. He's very eager to follow Christ. He he, he sees Jesus' power, he sees Jesus' authority, he sees Jesus' wisdom, and he wants to follow him. He sees Jesus' greatness, and he wants to follow him. Which is interesting for a scribe of, of, of Israel, a scribe of the Jewish faith, to follow Jesus because we know the Pharisees did not particularly like Jesus. So this was a risk for this this scribe or this individual to be so eager to follow Jesus. It comes to the, at the risk of his job, his vocation, of the people that he interacted with. He may see Jesus as a means to a higher position. Maybe Jesus will come along. Jesus with all his power and all his authority and wisdom will conquer the establishment of the Jewish faith and Jesus will be the new chief and so this particular wants to follow the new chief, the new master. <coughs> the issue here is that he is the one set in the terms. He's the one that wants to follow Jesus but Jesus never calls him to follow Christ is the king who calls us to follow him not the other way around In Romans chapter 11 34 through 35 we get this understanding of who God is who Christ is for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? This individual thinks, well, I'll come along and I'll tell Jesus, I will follow you. I'll be your follower. I will follow you as if he's the one offering his service to Christ. As if Christ needs our service. So therefore this person presents his own proposal to follow. Yet Christ is the one who bids you to follow, not the other way around. It is Jesus who calls. As we think of of Paul in in chapter 9, when Paul is on the road to Damascus, who's the one that calls? Who's the one that says, follow me? Jesus tells Paul, follow me, not the other way around. Jesus sets the path, and that path may lead to places where there's nowhere to lay his head. Even Jesus says, you know, do you, after this guy says, I will follow you. Jesus says to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's interesting that Jesus says this immediately after. He says, I will follow you. He says, do you even know what you're asking? Do you even know what you're following? Do you even know what path this will take you? The Son of Man, the Son of God, has, is, is like a bird who has no nest. It will be times, as we see in the story before this, the episode before this, when Jesus is in the Samaritan village, they didn't receive him. Jesus says on and on and on again in this chapter that he's going to be delivered into the hands of men to be killed. And Jesus says in John 15, 20 through 21, if they hated the master, what are they going to do to the followers, right? If they killed me, what are they going to do to you? The followers. The cost of discipleship isn't an easy path. Is that something where, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to set the path, I'm going to set my own terms, and it's going to be nice and easy, and I'm going to get this higher position, I'm going to get all this riches, or wealth, or power, or positions, or status. There's a cost to following Christ. Bonhoeffer, who is a a German theologian during World War II, who was killed for standing up to the Nazis, says that discipleship is a radical renunciation of a self-lived life. That's what discipleship of Christ is. It's the death of the self. If the self is killed and we follow Christ. We are made anew in Christ and we follow him. There's a misunderstanding of what discipleship is. It is not a religion with subjective inheritance. As if, I will come to church whenever I want. I will do whatever I want. I will use my time wherever I want. I just love Jesus. That's all that matters. It's not on our own terms. It's not something that we get to choose on the way that we go. You think of different major figures in the history of the church. Jim Elliott, Bonhoeffer, Wilberforth. All these individuals, there, there major cost to their discipleship. Wilberforth could have been Prime Minister of England. But because he fought against the slave trade, he was not very popular. He did the right thing. Jim Elliot lost his life because Christ called him to go to Ecuador to preach the gospel to cannibals. Jesus sometimes, when he calls us, the path is not what we would pick. Bonhoeffer could have went to the United States and been a teacher at Yale or Harvard or Princeton any of these major universities. He could have taught divinity and New Testament and theology at any of the major universities in the United States. And what did he do? He went back to Germany be with his brothers and sisters in Christ and he God. The path that Christ chooses for us isn't an easy path. And this individual in the story is like I will follow you! And Jesus is like you have no idea what you're talking about. A cheap grace, a cheap Christianity is a sub-Christianity devoted to discipleship, the cross, and Jesus Christ. Because many of us prefer to set our own Settings, our own course, our own self will, yet we fail to be disciples of Christ when we do this. When we set the stage, when we set our terms of what discipleship of Christ is, we are believing and following a sub Christianity, a chief grace. So I want to present a case study. Because a lot of us would say these exact things. My faith in Jesus is personal to me. Have you heard that before? Right? I don't need to be involved in church. I don't need to be a member of a church, I don't need to do that, because Jesus and me, man, we have our own thing, man, like, I do church wherever, I do it in the mountains or in a park, like, me and Jesus are personal, I don't need to be a part of an institutional religion. What that is, is basically what this individual is doing, is tailoring everything to fit your needs or your preferences. Church, you ever heard the, I'm still looking for a church, you ever heard that person, Maybe it's one of you in this room. Maybe you're that person. Maybe you've heard that person. I'm still looking for a church. People have been looking for churches for years. And there's churches everywhere. The issue is that they want to set the stage. They want to set the terms on what it means to be part of the church. Even when it comes to services, I'm, there's not very many people that are in my stage of life in that church. So I don't really don't fit that in. Based off your terms, you're tailoring your discipleship based off your preferences by your self will. I'm just not called to do that. I'm not called to be in the nursery. I'm not called to 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 be a, to volunteer in the children's room. I'm not called to help the youth. I'm not really called to go downtown and do ministry amongst. The amongst the poor. I'm not really called to to go overseas and be a mission. I'm not really called to do this. I'm not really called to do that. What you're doing is you're setting the terms. You're tailoring your preferences of your discipleship. Christ is the one that sets the stage, sets the terms. Even when it comes to your friendship. I'm not going to be friends with that person in the church. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't have the same interests. They like different TV shows. really can't get along. We go beyond nothing beyond what we're comfortable with, holding the faith of our own design. It's, I will follow you, Christ, but I have some caveats, I have some exceptions. But what does Jesus keep telling us in this chapter? He says in verse 41 through 48, if you receive a child like this, then that is greatness. Greatness is one who receives the, the weak and receives the Jesus says, and uh, later on in chapter, early in chapter 9, deny yourself and take up your cross. This is discipleship. These are the terms by which discipleship is. And when we fail in this paradigm of Christian discipleship, if you believe and use your freedom to design your own version of Christian living apart from this, apart from Christ's word, which bids us to come and die to ourselves and follow the will of Christ, we fail as a disciple. We fail. When we put up terms, when we put up preferences, when we put up this says, well, I will do this, but I won't do these things, then you are failing as a disciple of Christ. You're failing. The second point is, is the Lord over responsibilities, the Lord over responsibilities. The second episode, the second person who comes along along the road as Jesus is walking with his disciples, he says another has said, follow me. Actually, Jesus is the one that says, follow me to this person. And the person says, "Lord, let me first go and bury my father." Seems reasonable enough, right? Christ calls him to follow him, yet his responsibilities bids him to delay. There's an obligation of a son to his father, which seems reasonable, right? I mean, even Genesis 35, we see the the, the, the need to to bury the the, the father, the son. Burying his father, we think of Isaac burying Abraham. Like there is a responsibility of a son taking care of his dead father. That seems reasonable, right? Like this is not something. If you had heard this, like, hey man, I need you to go to serve in this aspect of the church. I can't this weekend. I have to bury my father. Like none of us was like, no no no, no man, you got to be here. You, you leave the dead to the dead. None of us would ever say that, right? But Jesus says this to him. And to be honest, is, these are words that we probably wish Jesus wouldn't say. Because they're uncomfortable. This whole passage is uncomfortable. And I don't want to smooth this out for us to say, what Jesus really meant was, Jesus says these things to people. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. This individual is his, he's responsible to his father, his role as his son. This means this seems reasonable, Right? But Jesus says, give liberty to the dead to bury themselves. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What Jesus is doing is resetting priorities. These words hit a nerve, right? I mean, these kind of mess with our preoccupations, what we truly value, what occupies most of our thoughts. Our family, our loved ones. They think of a lot of our thoughts, don't they? They think of a lot of our occupation of our minds, we truly value those people and those relationships. Our well-being, our plans, are all things that we care about. This individual here probably cares about his inheritance as well, right? He wants to go bury his father and make sure he takes his inheritance before he goes and follows Jesus. There's a well-being aspect to this. There's a plan aspect to this. And it's important to him. But what is Christ saying? He says, I'm more important than your dead father. I'm more important. My kingdom takes priority. There's a um some of y'all, some of y'all who went to Nepal or read the Paul read that John Patton. I did not finish reading it. It was a very difficult book to read. And Lisa, I think you ended up finishing it. Uh, uh I'm not sure if didn't finish it or not. It was a difficult book to read. His autobiography. But John Patton was a missionary in the South Pacific. In the beginning of the book, there's an interesting, um, a little, um, a story of of when he goes off to school and off to be a missionary. And it talks about him and his father. And his father and him are walking, he has basically, the town that he lived in in Scotland, the nearest train station was 40 miles away. And his father walked with him for six miles. And it talks about his father's just, he's sad. His son's going away. Right? He's sad. But his father never pleads for him to stay. Does he? His father never pleads, don't leave, John. Stay with me. Don't go off to school. Don't go off being a missionary. Don't go off going to the nations that have never, reached the go- never heard the gospel. Don't go. I need you to stay. I want you to stay. What happens if you die? What if I never see you again? That's not what his father ever says. His father understood that this was Christ's calling on his life, and it was his duty to go. He doesn't, John doesn't say, wait, 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 I'll go, I'll make a bunch of money, I'll do all this, I'll do all that, then I'll go. No, 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 he goes. Because proclaiming the kingdom of God and proclaiming Christ's gospel is far more important than your family. And that's what Jesus is saying. It hey, comes priority over your work. It's part of your plans, of your dreams, your long-term planning, your career success, your promotions, your salary. Everything is underneath Christ's kingdom. We fail as disciples when we place anything above our duty to go and proclaim the kingdom. We have a higher purpose as Christians. As disciples of Christ, we have a higher purpose. Even how you parent, right? This is, as a parent, if you're a mom here, you're like, well, I'm not going off to South Pacific to be a missionary. I'm not not going off to Africa to be a missionary. How does this passage at all apply to me? What it says is is that proclaiming the kingdom of God to your children is far more important what school they go to, it's far more important what jobs they get. It's far more important what clubs they get involved in or baseball teams or basketball teams or football teams they become a part of. None of that stuff matters in comparison of proclaiming the gospel to them. That's what that means. There's a lot of Christian parents that put all those things as priority over the gospel. The truth. How you work? It's not about getting a promotion. It's not about getting a high salary. Your biggest priority at your job is to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. That's what that passage means. And when we say, we first become the CEO, then I'll proclaim the gospel, you fail to be a disciple. You fail. That's what Jesus is saying here. So don't like, well, 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 Jesus really isn't meaning. He is meaning this. I come first if you're going to follow me. The last point is Lord over time. So he's Lord over self. He's Lord over priorities and responsibilities. Lastly, he's Lord over time. So this, this next person comes, and he says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. First permit me to say goodbye to those at my house. Again, what is the disciple? What is the one who's willing wanting to follow Christ? What is he doing? He's setting terms. Let me present a certain condition that must be met first before I can go follow you. Permit me to go do this. Give me the liberty to go do this, Jesus, and then I will follow. If this doesn't allow to me, then I'm not going to follow. Dictating turns, I will go. But instead, the call of discipleship is cutting off. Previous experiences and urgently going. This is a failure in urgency. What does Jesus say in Luke 44? I must preach the kingdom of God. People are telling him to stay in this village. He said, I must go and preach the gospel to others. Even when Jesus is a boy and his, and his parents are like, Where have you been? And he's like, Don't you know I must be in my father's house? I have I have work to do. I'm urgent. No one who, Jesus kind of says to this individual after he says this, he says, no one who puts his hand to a plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Basically, one could hardly plow a straight furrow, a a trench for planting while looking backwards, right? You can't really plan ahead if you're looking behind you. You're going to fail. The focus should be straight ahead on the task at hand, the task that is more important, more urgent, we have become accustomed to thinking like these would-be disciples. We've become accustomed to thinking this way. I want to follow Christ, however, or but, but first let me do this. Maybe money is first, your career is first, your family is first. Permit me, Lord, to wait until I get my life in order. When we delay to take action... When we think that other things must be taken care of before we can go and follow Christ. Bonhoeffer says that faith can no longer mean sitting still and waiting. They must rise and follow him. The call frees them from all earthly ties and, to, to and, and binds them to Jesus Christ alone. They must burn their boats and plunge into the absolute insecurity in order to learn the demands and the gifts of Christ. Too often you hear, let me first go to seminary, let me first get trained, let me first get my degree, let me first get some work experience, and then I will go. Let me first make a family, let me first do this, let me first do that. Think of Levi and Peter, or Matthew and Peter. What if Peter says, Jesus, I would love to follow you and leave my fishing business behind, but let me first get my business in order. Let me first pass it along to a trusted folk. What did Peter do? He left the boat. He left the nets, and he followed. What did Matthew do when he was a tax collector? He said in his booth, hey, man, my retirement's going to be coming up in five years, and I'll wait five years, and then I'll go. What did he do? He left the booth and followed Christ, and then wrote the Gospel of Matthew. We cannot delay. We must go and proclaim we're called, but don't hesitate. Jesus will be with us. We should go in full speed and not delay. If you are a Christian, you must be called, you are called to salvation and to discipleship. Now go. Proclaim the beauty of Christ, his gospel. Embrace the church with love and devotion. Stop being divided and half-committed. That is not discipleship of Christ. Half commitment or divided amongst yourself, like, well, you know, I love the church, and I love the faith, but i just got too much work to do. i got too much school to do. That is not Christian discipleship. You can't do it halfway. If you have, if you're hesitating, and you desire a life outside of Christ, and you hold on to things, or excuses, or dreams, you fail to be a disciple of Christ. You fail. In conclusion, one of my, my favorite TV shows is Doctor Who. And the reason why I like Doctor Who is not because of the monsters, and I know uh, Gabe's a big uh, Doctor Who fan as well, but one of my, the reason why I like this show, why I like the whole story, is I like the episodes when there's a new companion. And what that is, in like two seconds, is a companion is someone who travels with the Doctor in his time machine. And... What I, like, what I like about it is when they first go into the TARDIS and they notice that there's a world bigger than they knew, right? Wow, it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. That one line is the reason why I like it, That the world is bigger than we think it is. And what is, whatever what happens when the companion and the doctor have that conversation? He says, do you want to go with me, right? Do you want to go with me? And what do they do? They go, oh, wow, what's going to happen to me? Like, what am I going to what am I going to do? Should I leave everything behind? Right? I mean, can I come back? Can I say bye to my family? Where are we going to go? Can I put my life in order? Do I have time to reassure my family I'm going to be okay? Those are the ones that don't make it, do it. Those are the ones that don't get it. The ones that get it go, who cares about my life behind me? Who cares about getting my life in order? I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow the king of the universe. I'm going to follow the one who turns water into wine. I'm going to to follow the one who walks on water. I'm going to follow the guy who raised from the dead. Who cares about my life behind me? Where are we going? We're going to the cross. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Death to self. Can I put my life in order? No. You can't. There's no time. Christ put your life in order. Follow Christ. Do I have time to reassure my family? There's no going back to the way life was. Christ has bid you to follow. Follow. Don't hesitate. We struggle with these verses because we are so devoted to earthly things. We struggle to obtain things, and so when we obtain things, we fight to keep them secure. That is basically the human life. We work half of our life to earn stuff, and we spend the rest of our half of our life making sure that it didn't get taken away from us. We don't have the focus on what really matters. We are too busy to be disciples. We are just too busy to be disciples. Christ. And if our situation or context was placed in these stories, Christ would reject us as well, wouldn't he? All of us would have the same excuse. Because we want discipleship on our own terms, discipleship is not an offer we make to Christ. Christ sets the guidelines, the principles, the values, and this is how it is going to work. And you either say yes or you say no. Will you follow? Will you follow? Will you follow Him? Will you not look behind you? Will you put Christ in his kingdom above your own family and your own blood? Would you follow him without setting any of the terms or tailoring any of it to fit your needs? But you would just simply follow in obedience to Christ. Let's pray. To Lord, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters, I pray for myself as well. This passage is difficult, the cost of discipleship. It costs Christ his life, the cross, his death, the power of the cross. It was costly, Lord. The precious blood of Jesus Christ, the innocent Son of God, was shed on the cross for our salvation. It was a very costly place. And the discipleship of following Him is costly as well. He bids us to come and die to ourselves and to be risen to new life. He calls us to take up our cross and follow Him even to death itself. He calls us to a life where we may not be received or welcomed or loved. He calls us into a life, Lord, where there may be nowhere, nowhere for us to lay our heads. He calls us to a life that says, you, the, His kingdom is more important than our own father and our own mother. He calls us to a discipleship that, that, is, that is focused solely on following you and being obedient to your word and proclaiming your kingdom amongst us the loss and those who do not have you. Lord, this is a difficult task. And we cannot do it without your Holy Spirit. We cannot do it without you being with us in this. So if if there is anyone here who is a Christian, but man, they are struggling to follow you, Lord. They've put so many things above you. School, work, status, uh, relationships, family. You just name it. We're failing, Lord, to put so many things. We're so busy with useless things that we've totally forgotten about what it means to be a disciple. Lord, help us, Lord, to follow. Give us courage to follow. Lord, we, we need your power. We need your the faith that you provide. Lord, if there's anyone here who never put their faith in Christ Jesus, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would call out to you and that you would forgive them and save them. If there's anyone here who's, who's not connected to your church, Lord, may this be the day that they are committed to your church. May they become a member of your church.